Welcome to Ed Council Insights. This is our podcast to provide insights into new developments in the Missouri education community. If you are a Missouri school leader, school board member, or any public educational decision maker in Missouri, well, you are in the right place. Today, I'm excited to continue our new series here at Ed Council Insights called Leaders and the Law. What we want to do with this series is explore some concepts at or near the intersection of school leadership and school law. The idea is to bring a variety of leader voices to the table to talk about how the school law fits into school leadership and how school leaders may want to think about how the law fits into their specific practice. So for this edition of Leaders in the Law, I'm very happy that we are joined by Dr. Doug Heider, the Executive Director of MASA, Missouri Association of School Administrators. Doug was an accomplished school leader who was a superintendent in Southwest Missouri prior to taking the helm at MASA. He lived the life of a school leader and has also the unique perspective based upon his work in Jeff City on behalf of school administrators in dealing with new legislation that is proposed each year. Doug also has the uh, experience each year of working very closely with a lot of superintendents, both the experienced superintendents that tend to serve on his executive committee, but also just working with new leaders and a variety of programs that MASA offers. So moreover, I would say that Doug is just a great person to talk with, and I always, always learn something when I have a chance to talk to Doug. So with that intro, welcome Dr. Doug Heider. Good morning, Dwayne. Good to be with you today. We're thankful that you could join us today. You note that I didn't add anything in there about being the world's greatest Seinfeld fan, but you know, we'll, we'll leave that for another day. Absolutely. You know, it is what it is. All right. Uh, well, I am really happy to have you here and appreciate you being here to take the time to talk about the topic of school leaders in law. Um, and as I said earlier, we want to talk about the intersection of those things. And I think there are some unique things that you, you can bring to the table to talk about. But maybe the best place to start is to, let's just start with a little background about what you're up to these days at MASA. Probably the best way to describe MASA is that we're the State Professional Association for School District Leaders specifically superintendents and central office administrators. Uh, We do a variety of things, as you're well aware. We have a mentoring program for new superintendents. Uh, We have several conferences, a major conference each spring. We have our lead develop support series, which is learning opportunities for our members. Uh, Ed Council, a great partner in that. The Missouri Superintendents Academy, We help aspiring superintendents, and one of our key areas that we're going to talk about this morning is legislative work. Uh, We provide resources, educational partnerships with other groups, and support to school leaders, so a wide variety of things that we try to accomplish at MASA. All of which kind of tie into, at least loosely, the topic of school leaders and the law, right? Uh, So that's all good stuff. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I kind of like to talk a little bit, Doug, if we could, about uh, your experience prior to coming to MASA. And, uh, you know, you were a superintendent. Um, Why don't you just tell us a little bit about your journey as a school leader? Probably fairly traditional with most of our superintendents and school leaders. Uh, I was in education from the beginning of my career, was a teacher and coach 
Uh, my first job was in the North Platte School District between Kansas City and St. Joe, although I'm a native Southwest Missourian. So my wife and I moved back uh, to that area and I went to the Logan Rogersville School District. I uh, spent five years there also as a teacher and coach, then went to Sparta as high school principal AD. And then really, Dwayne, anything else that needed to be done in a smaller district, you know how that works. I was going to say, that's the way it works, right? Uh, cross country, academic team, whatever was needed. And then after five years there, had the uh, great opportunity to go back to Logan Rogersville, spent one year as assistant superintendent, seven as superintendent. We built a new high school during that time. And then in 2003, moved to Branson and spent my last 13 years there as a superintendent. So 20 years in the superintendency, uh, very, very fortunate and felt like uh, I was in some great school districts. That's great experience, Doug. I mean, and there's a, a lot there um, in terms of leadership itself. Um, you know, I guess one question I would ask you with that wealth of experience, what you know, if somebody were to ask you to distill it down to some sort of elevator speech and and describe for them, you know, what you ultimately uh, learned to be your leadership philosophy, how would you describe it? It's ironic sometimes, Dwayne, some of the things that you remember from your formal education. And I still remember in one of the leadership classes, we talked about directive leadership, collaborative leadership, and non-directive leadership. And I think to be successful in today's world, uh, in schools and in any leadership position, the collaborative model is the model. It's a team concept. It's a collaborative effort. There are times that you are directive, maybe in a crisis. There are times that you are non-directive. Let's say you have a young employee who needs to learn and you don't want to solve every problem, so you kind of let them do it on their own. But the vast majority of the time, lie, myself, like most of our colleagues, are very collaborative, very team-oriented, and I would encapsulate it with just this whole idea of service. Uh, Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Church, the very first line says, it's not about you. And the longer I was a superintendent, I understood it was not about me but it was about me, the board, and the community setting the table for teachers and staff to help kids. So I think that leadership style is crucial in today's world uh, for our leaders to be successful. I could not agree more. Uh, you know, and I've seen that just in the in the time that I've been practicing school law over the last couple of decades. You know, there's been a shift in my mind. Uh, you know, where it was much more directive uh, early on in my career, and uh, and and. Uh, the collaborative model is definitely what's needed today. And wouldn't you agree that there's been kind of a shift? I totally agree. You know, if you look back more to the industrial age and the industrial revolution, you know, that kind of transcended, I think, in the early 1900s. I didn't and start all, practicing law that long ago, Doug. Come on now. <laughs> well, I was trying to, I was going to take you back to World War One, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> but you're right. It has changed immensely from the boss, quote, tells us what to do to now much, much more team-oriented style. Well, let me ask you this uh, on a kind of a, a corollary to that is, how would you say that school law itself has changed in, you know, changed the education practice in the time that you've been in the profession? Dwayne, I can remember back uh, early in my career with colleagues and others as we were going through our formal schooling 
you would have many school administrators who their masters or specialist projects, thesis, it would be about board policy. Your project would be to go in and review board policy and make recommendations to your board. And it was not as common back then uh, for that to happen on an annual basis, et cetera. And I think that's 180 degrees now. Um, it's much more sophisticated, our policies, procedures, regulations, uh, how we handle day-to-day -day operations. Uh, changed immensely, much like the corollary you talked about earlier with the industrial model of leadership to the collaborative model that we have today. Very good. You know, one of the, um, and you've been around school law um, for quite a while now, both as a superintendent and then in your current role. Um, how has school law changed the way educational practitioners have to approach their decision-making, how, how they approach their work, if you will? I think it's created a more formal structure. Uh, I can remember going to high school and looking out across the parking lot and seeing all the deer rifles in the back of the vehicles <laughs> unlocked. Uh, no one had a concern. Uh, I'm old enough to remember when the principal might say to two boys who were scuffling, that's fine. Come out back. Here's a couple of pairs of boxing gloves. You guys just take care of it and I'll wait till you're finished. And that certainly is not the world we live in today. Uh, it's a much more litigious society, as you well know, as you deal with every day. Uh, social media, a lot of things that we have to deal with in a more strictly legal perspective for a variety of reasons. So we have seen quite an evolution in the common sense, hey, we're gonna make some exceptions, we're gonna do this to a much more formal structured society in which we live and it's just necessary in today's world. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and it, I think it's led to, um, for lack of a better way of putting it and, and an unfortunate development in my opinion, despite the fact that I'm a school lawyer is that we're much more legalistic about everything we do. And um, and we have to be right, and uh, that's uh, you know that's just the world that we've come to live in. I'm afraid. Um, you know, I I want to pivot into something, Doug. That I know you spent. You know, we're just in the wake of the of the legislative session. The general sessions just closed out, and that's uh, got to be a, you know a, a consuming effort on behalf of your organization during this spring. Um, I want to I want to talk about how your perspective has changed a little bit and what it was like before you came to Massa. Um, you know, as a superintendent, you know, what level of exposure did you have to the legislative process? During my first uh, superintendent tenure at Logan Rogersville, first seven years, I think it was fairly limited. And probably for a variety of reasons, I was new starting out. You're simply trying to figure out uh, which of the file cabinets are yours and where your office is right. uh, and the day-to-day -day opportunities how to do the job that you often don't delve into these other areas as much. I think once you get you know that three to five years in, then you begin to start to understand the process. But I probably really became much more entrenched during my tenure at Branson and 
probably for obvious reasons, you know, Branson, a major tourist area in our state, uh, a lot of things going on, not only locally, but that tied back to Jefferson City. Right. So I learned a lot at Branson uh, during my time there. Also during that time, I was fortunate. I was a part of the MASA officer line at that time. I had the privilege of serving as MASA president back in the early 2000s. So that gave me exposure. I also spent some time as our AASA governing board representative, our national association. So again, they are delving into federal legislative issues. So those were all great training grounds for me. The other key thing at Branson was that we had some key legislators in the General Assembly at that time. Uh, Representative Maynard Wallace, who was from that area, whose daughter worked for us at Branson. Uh, He was chair of the House Education Committee, a staunch supporter. Uh, I had a good relationship with him, followed by Lyle Rowland, uh, also Senator Jack Goodman, Senator David Sater. They were very crucial, and they were all representing our area there in the Tri-Lakes region. So all those things combined really helped me, I think, to get a much better feel about the importance of being involved in the legislative process as a school district leader. You know, let me ask you this, Doug, you know, when you were a superintendent, and I know you had probably a greater exposure to the legislative process and what was going on legislatively than than a lot of superintendents, but I still want to know, you know, what were your general thoughts back then when you were sitting in the, in that particular seat as a superintendent about how the developments in in particular in Jeff City but also in DC but you know how the legislation each spring would impact your practice as a superintendent I think it's really easy for school leaders uh, to think very locally you know how does it impact me How does it impact our school district? And when you first start out, of course, you're just trying to figure it out. And I think it's much easier to to lean toward that uh, philosophy. But as you grow and get experience and broaden your horizons a little bit, uh, you can then figure out that, you know, what impacts one part impacts the other part. And that's the other thing that, from my perspective, has happened. You know, we talked about earlier the evolution of leadership and school law. It's not only locally, statewide, but it's federal. And how does what happened in Washington, D.C.? I mean, it's all tying together now more than ever. But I think it's an evolutionary process, Dwayne, for a lot of our leaders, uh, because it's easy to get caught in that trap and trying to get people to see beyond themselves that there's a bigger picture here. And yes, you may be okay. One of the key strategies that we hear in Jefferson City Uh, Let's take charter schools just as one example. The proponents will go to legislature uh, legislator and say, well, this is not going to impact your district, so it's okay. We can do it here. Well, they have an ultimate goal in mind. They have an objective plan. They know if we can get that done, then two, three years from now, we're going to get this done. So those are not haphazard things that are happening and it's really important that we understand that in the education community. Good insight, Doug. I, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about too is that, you know, we just talked about kind of some of the perspectives that you had as a superintendent, but you've got some time under your belt here <laughs> in Jeff City. 
and exposure to the legislative process up up close and personal in some respects. You know, how has that experience changed your perspective on the legislative process and um, how things work really work? I'm gonna I'm gonna frame my answer. Uh, I'm gonna start by giving you uh, my perception of K-12 education. Good. I was an uh, adjunct for Lindenwood University and had both K-12 and then had the opportunity to also teach in the higher education cohort. And we had a lot of discussions about um, the culture of K-12. And I really do believe that K-12 is a kinder, gentler place. Uh, most people are pretty good people. Uh, their heart's in the right place. They care about kids. They tend to be, for the most part, in my opinion, non-confrontational. Uh, they just want to do their job, do a good job. They care about others, et cetera. Much less, I think, than what we would consider the traditional world, or some people say the business world or the world of politics. And so I frame it that way because I think that is a detriment sometimes uh, to those of us in K-12. I've learned here much more firsthand, some of the world is not kinder and gentler. And there are a lot of people out there who really do not like public education. Uh, sadly enough, in my role, they do not like school administrators. And as we just talked about, they have a systematic and organized plan and process for school choice. And in my opinion, uh, somewhat the decimation of public schools and we have to be ready for that. And I used to sit in my office uh, in Branson and think, well, you know, we could, we could, uh, we could lean on that a little bit. We could give a little bit. Maybe we could meet them halfway. Not understanding all of that, because again, that's the way I think most K twelve educators think. Let's work together. Let's collaborate. You tell me something. I trust you. And unfortunately, that's just not the way it is. So I think it's really helped me see the bigger picture and be much more uh, realistic about sometimes what actually is going on. I think that is excellent insight and and borders on the profound, Doug, because it it I have, uh, as you can imagine, dealing with the legal world and the education world and kind of acting as that liaison between the two, the way we do here. At Ed Council, you know, have to uh, you have to kind of walk that line and be a little bit in both worlds. And the fact that the education world is kinder and gentler, I agree with that. And I would even say that it tends to be more idealistic. And 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 the thing that I I would say is that it's difficult sometimes when you get exposed to the legal world and you're dealing with lawyers and you're dealing with courts. And their point of view is 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 not the same at all. Um, and making that translation um, and uh, trying to accomplish the goals uh, of an organization that that is largely built around that kinder, gentler philosophy. That, you know what? You know most times the decision makers are going to always going to come back to what's in the best interest of kids. And then when you get into and I'm not going to use the phrase the real world, but when you get into the legal world. Sometimes that's not necessarily the priority, and that's a difficult thing to accept for a lot of educators, I think. And so I've seen the same thing, and, and it, it just 
I don't think I'd ever really thought about it in those terms, in terms of, of, of our general assembly in the process. So I think that's an amazing insight, um, really is. Well, you know, you were talking about uh, the point of view of legislators, and I, I'm going to ask you this question. You've been around uh, a number of folks uh, who are legislators and just really public officials at the state level um, in, in Jeff City. What would you say is the most common misperception about school leaders in the in public education in Missouri? I've been a little bit amazed uh, at the negativity attached to that by some in the General Assembly. I think there are a lot of them who would say uh, school administrators are selfish and they just want money. Um, I can remember back Senator Harold Caskey, who I think was a good senator back in the day. We've talked about him, you and I, before. The old yeah. adage he used to say that superintendents, when they die, they're buried with their hand up above the ground because they're always asking for more money. That, that I remember I remember that comment from him. Um, yeah, and, he, you know, he he had he was very involved in the development of the formula at the time and all of those things, and very influential senator in, in terms of public education. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, you're fine, Dwayne. But my point is, there's some that really believe that, and they have a little bit of almost animosity. There's a lot of great folks uh, at the Capitol, but there are a lot of people who do feel that way about us. You know, it's the adage: you're watching the nightly news, and some employee is against the corporate CEO. There's a natural tendency uh, to want to lean toward the employee. But I think what they don't understand in working with school leaders, I mean, they care deeply about kids. They care about their communities and their schools. And I think the other part of that, Dwayne, that maybe lends to that misconception, you know, the Harry Truman said the buck stops here. And in any school district, that buck stops in the superintendent's office with the support of his board. So we have to take stands and superintendents have to take stands. And when they take those stands, I think sometimes others see that as defiance or, you know, you don't want to work with us, that type of thing. So I, I hope and wish that we could change that a little bit. Maybe we never will. But I think that is a common misperception by a lot of people about school leaders. I think that's great insight, Doug. You know, one of the things that I would like to hear your perspective on is that, uh, you know, we constantly have, and I think this is accelerated over the last few years, but we constantly have changes in the law and we have a, a lot of legal developments that, uh, you know, we have to deal with every year. And so I kind of want to know what you think um, a superintendent should, you know, how should they approach legal developments like the passage of a new law? You know, what should be their process in, in their district as, as the leader? Several things, Dwayne, come to mind. Uh, the first recommendation I would make is have a good and reliable policy service to lean on. You know, we talked earlier about back in the olden days, you know, it's a project. Uh, those days are gone. Uh, it is so technical. As you said, we live in such a legalistic society. That's extremely important. The second arm of that, I think, would be legal assistance not only the development of policy, but the legal assistance to interpret those policies. I would encourage districts as we did in Branson, as you're aware, develop committees to study your policies 
and make recommendations to the board for the district. Uh, we see districts that regardless of their policy service, we might be reviewing their policies and here's a policy that has a blank in it where you're supposed to put your school district name and it's not even filled in. You need to take the time to review those. The other thing is there may be times that your policy provider is giving you things that is, I'm gonna use the word questionable, optional. It may not be black letter law. Right. It's an interpretation. You don't have to take that verbatim, ask questions. Uh, lean on them. If they are clear to you, hey, this is black letter law, that's great. But there are a lot of items where you can make a local decision on what you think is best based on that. So find a process to do that. Also understand, you know, that laws go into effect August 28th each year, uh, unless there's an emergency clause, and that every law has tentacles. Uh, we talk about that a lot here at MASA. You know, there's something over here about tax financing. And by the time you track it down, there are eight tentacles back to how it could potentially impact a school or school districts. So from my experience, those are all key things to make sure that you're in good shape uh, with your policies, regulations, procedures uh, each and every school year. That's very good stuff, Doug, and a lot to unpack there. But, you know, one of the things that as you were you know, talking about that, that I'm thinking through is that really as a school leader, there is an opportunity to take those form policies, those model policies and make them your own. And uh, that's really how you implement the law for your school district, as opposed to just taking the law in the abstract. And, it, and it's important to remember, I think, uh, that those policy services, you know, they're trying to write policies that would be applicable to five hundred and eighteen districts a lot of times. Um, not your district specifically. And so you've got to think about, okay, how's this work for our community? How's this work for, and that I think, as you've said, really is the role of the leader, right? And that's, that's, that's a powerful message, I think. Um, let me ask you this, um, given that what I would characterize as a little bit of antagonism, um, um, and that may be an understatement, uh, but, uh, you know, how can, do you believe school leaders can develop stronger relationships with, uh, their legislators so that we, they, you know, there's a positive impact on legis on, on public education as a whole, what would you advise our school leaders to be thinking about? A wise mentor, Dwayne, told me when I first started, he said, good public relations is simply one positive interaction at a time. And I thought that was really wise. And I've tried to remember that. The other thing that I've tried to impart to uh, students in classes and others who, who might be seeking advice uh, is to remember that your position is an important one. And in some ways, I'm going to use a phrase here, you're a quote, a celebrity. Not that you're the most important, not that you specifically, but your position. And it carries some weight. It carries some authority with it. People want your time. Legislators are no different. I would say try to develop a relationship, get to know them personally, spend time with them, uh, invite them to visit your board of education and maybe share their thoughts and ideas. 
recognize and invite them uh, to events. Also, I think it's important to make sure that you not, don't just call them when something's wrong. Uh, thank them when they do good things. Uh, talk with them about things other than legislation. I know a great example, a couple of years ago, I'm here in Jeff City, I go to Schnucks. I run straight into Senator David Sater, who had been our Senator in Branson and I still communicated with regularly. It was the end of session, there were some big bills. Now it would have been easy to have that conversation, but I didn't, because I didn't think it was the right time, the right place. He's there shopping, I'm shopping. How's your family? You know, we're gonna get through the session. Yeah, we'll get through it. Have you been to Branson? Those kinds of things. Just like, you know, going into buildings. If your principal thinks every time you walk in a building, you want something, you're upset or make visits, don't make everything about the positive or the negative. I think that's important as well. Be knowledgeable because they're gonna to look to you for information about why you have a position on certain pieces of legislation, make sure you exchange contact information uh, so they can get a hold of you, personal cell phone, email. And also I'll say lastly, Dwayne, be respectful of their position. Uh, realize when you're in a meeting, call them representative, senator. Uh, if you're gonna form a letter, now if it's just the two of you private having coffee and you're on a first name, that's different. But I think sure. all those things can really make a big difference in the long term and realize you're going to win some and lose some as well. All sage advice, Doug. I, I think that that's all very good advice for our leaders out there. Um, and it's uh, I think sometimes it's it's easy to in the press of business and everything else to forget the importance of building that relationship first um, and, and and how important that relationship with that local legislator is um, for all of us, really. Um, you know, Doug, you've been really good to share a lot of insights with us today. One, one, one final question for you, if I may. You know, I just want to close out with this. You know, if you had the opportunity, knowing what you know now, to go back and sit a young Doug Heider down and say, okay, look, here's what you really need to know about the legislative process in Missouri as a school leader and how it really works, what would you say? Probably the first thing I would say is never forget yet that you are really the educational leader for K-12 in your community. Uh, people are looking to that position. They expect you to lead. Now, all of us lead differently, and I would add there, Dwayne, you have to be yourself. You have to be the best you that you can be. Don't try to, you can take processes and other things, but take your personality, your style and develop it to the very best that you can. I think that's really crucial as well. Because if you don't utilize who you are in that position, then no one else is going to do it potentially. Or if they do take the lead, it may not be the direction you wanna go. Your position has influence, it has authority, make sure you use it. The other thing is, this is a part of your job. You know, we have legislation each year where they try to restrict uh, superintendents and others from even coming to the Capitol. If you're leading a school district, being part of the legislative process is an actual part of your daily job. It's important. 
And you have to lead your community and state and region in that specific way. So realize there are those that are not friends of public education, be proactive and just make sure that you understand that it's not about you. I think those are all key things uh, in making sure you can be successful. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate you taking the time to talk through with us school leadership in the law. And we thank you, the listeners, for taking the time today. And we hope you'll follow and share our Ed Council podcast on social media and subscribe to hear upcoming episodes on current legal topics and issues related to school law. You can give us a follow on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or you can check us out at our website. Just Google Ed Council. That's E-D-C-O-U-N-S-E-L, one word, and you'll find us there. Glad we could be together, and thanks for listening to this edition of Ed Council Insights.